1: FM, suffering from panic attacks, raising an amazing daughter who was a challenge, and isn't that true of parenting, and a marriage on the rocks. Does this sound familiar? Are these glimpses into your own life? Do you often wonder how you can live, how your life can be really any different than the difficulties you have in your life right now? Did you stop believing that there could be a better way to live your life instead of always letting it happen to you. Jen Loudon has been there. She is the one with the panic attacks, the daughter, and the troubled marriage, even though her work was super successful. At times, she felt like she was failing. And remember, Jen, from a previous interview, she helped start the self-care movement with her first book, The Woman's Comfort Book. She's written more books, including five more books, including The Woman's Retreat Book and Life Organizer and that have inspired more than a million women in nine languages. And many of you seen Jen when she sat on Oprah's couch talking about the power of retreats. Jen is here to talk about her own story and what it really takes to create, to build this life that you want. Jen, hello and welcome back.
0: Wow, I just love that setup. It, It so captures what we're all up to, you know, and fill in the blank, everybody. Maybe you don't have panic attacks. Maybe your kids are the easy kids, in which case I like you a little less. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't get that. Although now she's out 20 and she's incredible. Um, and some of us have great marriages. I'm lucky to say my second marriage is really solid and wonderful. But we all have something we can fill in those blanks. I just, it's such... The truth of life, how do we create, how do we keep building more, more satisfaction, more aliveness, more contribution from the reality of life? That's it, isn't it? That's the question.
1: Well, that is the question. And I want to clarify something because people can say, oh, well, you're Jen, right? You were Mm. in your late 20s, isn't that right? When you were sitting on Oprah's couch. In the late 30s. Okay, late 30s, sitting on Oprah's couch, right? We talked about this before of hitting like the Oprah lottery. and. How a, how can anything I do measure up to the significance of what Jen's done?
0: That is just another way that our minds do the same stuff, right? So, what my mind did, and I wrote a blog post about this a few weeks ago. I'm in the you know this is the work that I do. I'm a personal growth person, Mm -hmm. (laughs) teacher, writer. I don't even, you know, whatever you want to call it. I never know what to call myself. And I suffer from depression from time to time. And I was getting really blue and really blah. And I started to feel disconnected from my work and like I was being a fake. How can I feel this way and teach about how to build your life? And then I wrote the post because it hit me like, you know, the proverbial duh in the middle of the forehead. Oh, right. This is where I am right now. It's no different than being back then when there was anxiety attacks and Lily was a pill and I wasn't sure that Chris and I were going to make it. It's the same thing with a different um, set of clothing. So those thoughts that we have, so-and-so is different and therefore I cannot have X or Y and she can. It's the same story. So my story in that moment was I can't build a more life more of what I want because I'm depressed today.
1: Does that make sense? That, no, that does make sense. And I, I appreciate you being willing to share that, right? Because people say, well, once you've made it on Oprah's couch, you've made <laughs> oh, it. Right, right, right. <laughs> you,
0: you can always say when I do X, then mm-hmm. everything will be fine. This is what our minds do. Our job as women who are building our truer life, and I use the word truer instead of true with care, Because true feels like that fixed place, right? We're going to get somewhere. So it's always the story we're going to get somewhere. There is nowhere to get. But our minds are built to look for certainty because it gives us the illusion of safety. And our brains and our bodies want to feel safe, right? We're animals. We're no different than my little terrier poodle mix who gets terrified in the middle of the night if the um, blind on the window starts to move with the breeze and click and clack. And suddenly she gets up and she starts pacing the room and she wakes me up because she's freaked out. <laughs> <laughs> we're the same way, we're just a little more sophisticated.
1: <laughs> and so, you know, this so this idea that you you making it on Oprah's couch and I think we talked about this years ago on the show, right? You still have your own hurdles and you still have depression. It doesn't mean once you've made that accomplishment that there won't be other struggles. And don't don't you find people think that, oh, you've made it, so your life must be easy.
0: Yes, yeah, so we project that onto celebrities. We project it onto our family. And maybe we have a more successful family member. I mean, I find myself doing it three or four times a week. Whomever comes through my Twitter stream, <laughs> oh, they've got it made. So again, how do we develop the awareness and the, and the tools to keep short-circuiting that narrative and building a more generative narrative because our brains are built to make stories. They're mm-hmm. never going to stop making stories. We're not going to transcend that. But how do we become aware of it and work with it? So my depression moment a few weeks ago was just another version of that. Oh, and then, and then the question becomes, how do I generate a story and, a, and, and take action in this moment? Not waiting for the depression to clear up or not waiting to lose the weight. If that's your thing Mm -hmm. or not waiting until your husband initiates fabulous sex three times a day, a week, a week, a day. (laughs) Sorry. That would be weird. (laughs) You'd never get anything else done.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And so how do you go about changing the stories? I have my process, but what's yours?
0: Well, you know, I, I always feel like a broken record, but it's, it's, It's recognizing that there is a story. So in that moment, it was going, oh, wow, I'm blah, and I'm thinking that blah is bad, it's wrong, and I have to fix it before I can have more of what I want, whatever that is. In that day, day, maybe it was just more peace and relaxation and uh, mercy. So it's recognizing that there is a narrative. And that never goes away for me as the first step uh, because I fall asleep again and again. And I think that's part of the definition of being human. And then the second thing is, is not to think I have to change it. This is where we get so stuck in our self-help culture and like sign me up as a perpetrator of this myth for years. I think I was like, I can fix it. I can fix it for myself. I can fix it for others. But fixing perpetuates the story that we're broken. And if instead we can just go, oh, there is space here right now. (sighs) There's space here right now for how I'm feeling. I don't have to make it go away. I don't have to fix it. The other thing that happens when we're trying to fix things is that then we get out of like letting it move on its own, right? We jump away from it because why? It's uncomfortable. I hate feeling depressed. I hate Letting myself sort of be there and be with it. But if I can, then there can be a little bit of space, not a lot, but a little bit, to then maybe intervene a little bit. And so that intervention might mean if I'm really depressed, it might mean letting myself take a nap. If I'm more in the place that I've been lately, it's like, okay, here's my what I call conditions of enoughness for today. And I'm just going to chop wood, carry water, and do those. What are the things that I can do? to move forward on my truer life today. And sometimes it's reaching out and sometimes it's doing something with my body and sometimes it's mindful questions uh, and that's a lot of the work in the life organizer and the life navigation course are are asking ourselves mindful questions.
1: I love how you, you, you give yourself that space, right? And to realize and point out to the listeners that it's not about fixing yourself or fixing others because I know I used to do this I didn't want to have to deal with my own problems. So I used to always want to go fix everybody else's.
0: <laughs> it's So much fun.
1: Right. And then I don't have to deal with my stuff and it could just be a pile of mess over here. And I really work on, you know, working on my business. And also, you know, when I'm feeling blue, when I'm feeling stressed or anxiety or sadness, you know, the question I ask myself is, what is this? What is the message? What is this here? What is this trying okay. to tell me? Mm. You know, and so my question for you is, as you're going through this depression, what is it here to tell you, Jen? Mm,
0: beautiful. Yeah, I, <laughs> I when mm. once I woke up to what was going on and then noticed the story behind it, which is I'm bad because I feel this way and I'm a sham and a fraud because I feel this way. So once I can make space, not make space, recognize there is space, such an important distinction, recognize there is space for that, which for me is a very spiritual place. I, it feels very spacious and loving. And then the separation starts to fade away. And I don't feel so alone. And I think shame and aloneness feeds these moods mm-hmm. and, and gets us into that washing machine, if you will, gerbil wheel, whatever metaphor. Then, the, then when it's time to intervene and, 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 and go where you were just describing, um, what I found through doing some dialoguing with different parts of myself is I've been pushing myself too hard. And this is always, always, always a place that gets me dried out. And when I get dried out, I get disconnected. And when I get disconnected, I think it's all up to me. And then I go to the place that this kind of depressed blah place. So I just, I haven't had time for creativity for creativity's sake. I haven't had time for writing for writing's sake, reading for reading's sake. Everything has been about these different projects I'm working on. Um, And I haven't had enough alone time. It's been a lot of teaching, a lot of... uh, seeing people a lot of social stuff and that's really fun but I'm an introvert (laughs) Mm -hmm. and you know and I'm in this new marriage with this wonderful guy who loves to spend time together (laughs) (laughs) and I love him. but sometimes I'm like wow I need I need to go be alone I just need I need a silent retreat I need to be out in my studio and I haven't been getting that for two months wow the other thing I recognize, and I just want to point this out for those of you who are listening who are also business owners, is when I'm launching something, uh, teaching something, any, and that's a lot of the year, I'm more vulnerable. And when I'm more vulnerable, I have to do more self-care and be more mindful and aware. And if I don't, it often kind of edges me towards this place of, oh, uh, what's the point? Oh, I just wish I could go eat chocolate. I, <laughs> God, Maybe I should just go get a straight job, you know, the, the straight job fantasy.
1: <laughs> Why are you more, more vulnerable?
0: What if you don't like me? Mm-hmm. What if you don't take my course or come to my retreat or you come to my retreat or you take my course and you don't like it and it doesn't work for you? And it doesn't provide lasting value. I'm so about wanting to really give people tools and experiences that that shift things for them in a grounded, real, lasting way. And that's hard. And it doesn't work for everybody. And then you feel, I mean, rejected is too strong of a word. The younger me would have been rejected. Um, but the, the older me is more like, oh, God, oh, this is mm-hmm. hard. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just want to help. Um, so I think it's that, I think it's that place. And then I have to come back to my core and to my own feeling of, yes, I am connected and I'm making a difference. It's, I, it's not up to me to determine how much of a difference that's not within my control.
1: Ooh, I like that. It's not up to me to determine how much of a difference. You know, it's interesting because I go through the same things every time I, I, you know, put out a group that I work with, Mm -hmm. my group coaching, my circles that I do. And, oh, you know, talk about getting in my own way when it comes to marketing that stuff. (laughs) Because it's like that little fifth grade girl who, you know, I was at a new school, was a dork and a geek and totally loved being in the library, comes out of the library happy, but very quiet and shy. And I get a letter given to me by a classmate who says, and the letter says, who hates Corinne? Oh. And the entire class signs it. Oh. And so it's almost like every time I put myself out there, I have that vulnerability feeling too is, will people choose me, right? I know from experience that these circles that I run are just a great experience for my for my clients, right? And the members that are part of it. And it's very transformational. But it is really, really tough on me inside. And I find I have to do my own work. At that time. So I appreciate hearing that from you, too, because, you know, so much of what we see in like the groups that you and I are part of, right, that it's that, oh, I launched this and I made this much money or, you know, we, we see that constantly and it's constantly being fed to us. But to realize there's this other side where maybe even those people they're going through, maybe they're not. But when, and, and for the listeners out there, whether you're an entrepreneur, solo business owner, whatever it may be, whatever your vulnerability thing, maybe you're the president of the PTA and you're organizing an event yes. and it's, will people show up?
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. Or you're dating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I have a, I, I'm just so touched by that story and I, I, you know, it just brought tears to my eyes and it reminds me, I would think I was in sixth grade and I Where There was an all-school talent show, and I did an impression of Lily Tomlin's Edith Ann character, and some of you were probably too young to know it, but she would pretend to be a little girl, and she did it in a big rocking chair and a very particular accent. And um, I was wearing a white shirt, and I was very nervous, and I guess you could see I had high beams, and I got heckled for having high beams uh, in front of the whole school. And same experience, I'm sure. And that gets triggered in me so often when I'm taking a creative risk because it's specific to like doing something that was so out there and so important to me. And I wasn't very good at it. <laughs> you know, I wasn't like, you know, anybody coached me or I was an actor. I just was in love with Lily Tomlin. Um, so that tenderness that we we all have this vulnerability around our, our dreams and our moreness and our truer life, you know. This is a whole, this is the whole place where we often get stuck, right? Because we don't think, because we don't do the work or bring the awareness and the tender self-compassion to that, those parts of us that are getting triggered. And then we don't step out.
1: No, yeah, it's really important. I love how you, i want to go back to this, when you, you know, when you feel depression, it's not about fixing and it's about giving that space. Because what it sounds like to me, Jen, is that you're able to create this awareness Right, and reflect, and then look and go. Oh, like for instance, your situation. Wow, I've been teaching a lot. I'm launching my new course that's coming out. I'm spending. I'm. I'm have all this vulnerable energy that's going out there, and that's that's what the depression is here to teach me. And what is it that I need? I need alone time, mm. you know, and to to fill me up so that I can be resilient in this difficult time right now. That's what it sounds like.
0: Yeah, I think, and then maybe a little beyond that, or in addition to that, in addition to that, is I need to do some creating for creating's sake. Um, I need to stay with my daily conditions of enoughness, which for me means that I'm putting very doable things on my to do list that are dependent only on me to finish and that I know when I'm finished with them. I'm never putting stuff on my list that's vague or that. Says do a good job, or that is more than I can actually get done in a day. So that's also very important because when I get to this mood that I've been, trying to, you know, working with, I can collapse and be like, "Well, just screw it, just screw uh-huh. the whole thing, right?" You know, which is also kind of not taking care of that vulnerable little girl mm-hmm. who was on the stage, and it's not taking care of all the other parts of me that want to live my truer life, which is doing my work and being of service the best way I can and letting go of the outcome.
1: So what kind of things are on, I love that list, the daily conditions of enoughness.
0: Mm. Oh, right. Today is edit shadow comfort post. That's Mm -hmm. for a guest post. It's redo a piece of content for um, uh, somebody else's uh, project that I'm part of. I wrote content for and need to rewrite. Um, It's right all those open and close the cart and you know sales emails oh god i hate writing those oh i didn't get to it yesterday and um it's make a, a plane reservation mm. and and so i i look at what i do before i go to bed at night uh before i close down shop here i often come back out here after dinner sometimes not and i but i do it at some point i look at the list and is it clear is it dependent only on me? Will I know I finished it? Mm -hmm. And then I look at my other appointments for the day and I know my energy, like by three o'clock, forget it, girl, there ain't going to be any creativity happening. There could be some reading or research or note-taking. There can be exercise. There can be catch-up calls with people or interviews. But by three o'clock, I'm pretty burned out because I usually get to work between 7.30 or 8. You know, I get out here after after meditation. so yeah, so is it really doable? And I, I think this is one of the things that leads us away from our truer life. That's so fixable and so mundane, which was we're constantly bombarding ourselves with unclear lists of things to do that are never accomplishable. Or if we could, if we do accomplish them, we don't know we did it. And so we live in this morass. Of not enoughness, and we begin to conflate it or confuse it with our basic essence.
1: Don't you think we live in that not enoughness? I call that the neighborhood, right? We're used to living in that. <laughs> I call it the ghetto neighborhood, right? Yeah, we're the bad neighborhood. Yeah, and be, <laughs> because we don't believe that we can go, you know, to the other to the other town. Like my my example that I use with clients is that you know East Palo Alto is not very far from Stanford. I mean, it's across. It's just a couple miles down the road. <laughs> But to go from that neighborhood to Stanford, right? And I'm not talking about attending the school. I'm just saying being in that neighborhood can be a really scary thing. It's an upper limit problem. Um, And so isn't that one reason why we do this? We create these huge lists because then we can say, see, here's evidence. I am not worthy. I really can't get anything done. So why even bother? This is too overwhelming. I'm just going to go over here and disconnect.
0: Yeah, um, I do. I think that we often are unwilling to let go of what's not working and be in that void and then really build what's truer for us. I also see that one of the ways out is by being very, very practical and deliberate in naming what is enough for us. But people don't like to do it. Because it's so practical. And we'd either rather be stuck or we'd rather work on the big visions that are kind of vague mm-hmm. and do the vision boards and, you know, just, you know, dream, dream, dream about making a million dollars working four hours a you know, month um, instead of going, <laughs> you know, let's just four hours a year. Let's just be really absurd. Uh, instead of going, wow, okay, so what actually can I do today? It's, it'll be a little uncomfortable. It'll be hard. I won't like it. Um, and really be specific and then declare when I do it that I'm satisfied that it was enough, even though it's not the big vision. It's not giving I have no idea what the outcome's gonna be. It's untangling those over and over again, I think, that retrains us one of the ways to retrain ourselves to move to Stanford if we want.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, and I, I like to have a saying that small hinges can move big doors, mm-hmm. right? Because so often we're like, no, we have to, it has to be a big leap. It has to be perfect. And it's, what are the things that we can practice and implement? And then we have evidence that, yes. hey, look, I am getting stuff done. Yeah. Look, I got these two things done, or I've got these three things done and see, I'm a person who gets things done. And that's how we can change our story, isn't it?
0: Yes, it's, it's, when we make and, and we make and keep clear commitments with ourselves, we build self trust. Ooh,
1: I like that.
0: Yeah, so that's a big part of what of what I've been teaching because I suffered for so long by making big, grandiose, unclear commitments and then feeling like a, a fake, a sham, a bad person, not enough. You know, fill in the blank. So, and it's a real discipline to stay away from that, you know, it, because I think. Culturally, the way our brains are wired, lots of reasons, you know, to go towards, um, or at least for me personally, to go towards big, grandiose, and vague. And then within a few days, I lose uh, trust in myself.
1: Yeah, I think those big, like, you know, the big, hairy, audacious goals, I mean, those can be fine if if you put them up on the top of the bookshelf and they're there. And then breaking it down to smaller goals that are more attainable that actually seem that they're possible, especially if you have a huge disbelief in that big hairy audacious goal. Yeah,
0: yeah. and it, and I also I think as we as we mature, I'll say instead of age, I had dinner last night with three girlfriends and they're all about a 6 to 10 years older than than I I'll, I'll be 52 soon. So they're in their late 50s and early 60s and and late 60s. And we were talking about how our spiritual lives have changed, how our careers have changed. So there's also a developmental curve or unfurling that happens with big, hairy, audacious goals. It's important when we're younger to set them and to to break some teeth on them and to accomplish some of them. Um, But I think deeper goals or different styles of goals begin to emerge as we get a little bit older.
1: I want to go into um this building the life that you want instead of what you should, because mm-hmm. I'm sure the women that you work with can really struggle with that and so, yeah. so how how do how do what do you how do you help women separate the two really simple
0: and 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 really fun, and you can start doing it today. You just start asking yourself at every transition, at every choice point in your day, of which there are so many, what do I really want? We start playing with little desires, noticing the fears that arise, noticing the sensations in our bodies that arise, getting so curious and intimate with desire at the salad bar, Mm -hmm. at the dinner menu, in the restaurant. um, When our partner says, do you want to have sex? Um, when it's Saturday morning and we can go to yoga class or Zumba class or lay in bed and read, uh, what do I really want? And we start to notice, oh, my God, I don't know, or it's so hard to choose. Or That's how we begin to move away from shoulds. And it's so fascinating, and it's not easy, because life does have a lot of shoulds in them. Um, And there's lots of duty that we do want to... um, to attend to and that we need to attend to. Just having children comes with a crap load of shoulds. (laughs) I should feed them, (laughs) the little buggers. (laughs) Um, I should, you know, make sure they don't drown in the bathtub, you know, all those things. Uh, I should make sure they, you know, they... They have a sense of being connected and loved. So, but how do we stay connected to desire in the face of the the shoulds that come with life, and that come with the long term commitments of marriage and partnership and children and businesses? How do we stay vital with it? And then, how do we not let the shoulds that are about a, a old identity or our parents' path or um, the stories that we read about successful entrepreneurs? shape us. That's where I think so much of our day-to-day desire can help us discern.
1: You know, I I love that. What about the fear though? Because some people say, well, if I really give myself what I want, I won't get anything done.
0: You only can dissolve that fear, come into relationship with it. And those are two different things, but they're both important. If you're practicing in these little ways, it's just like what you were saying about proving to yourself you're someone who can. Mm -hmm. I can do that. I made a list. I knew everything on that list, what it would look like when it was done. I did it. I reminded myself that I did what I said I would do. And over time, I'm going to become a person who trusts myself. It's the same thing with desire. Oh my gosh. Three Saturdays in a row, I didn't go to exercise class. I laid in bed for two hours and I drank. Tea, and I read what I wanted to read, and wow. And now, this fourth Saturday, I really decided I'm going to join that marathon training group. And now I really find I want that. So it's having this organic relationship and the trust that comes with that. And you can see how having conditions of enoughness that we were talking about earlier builds also a structure in other parts of our lives to let us follow desire in more freeform ways that they play off each other.
1: One this reminds me, my client yesterday reminded me this story, but um, one of my weight loss clients was just really wanting M&Ms, really wanting M&Ms. And she Mm -hmm. kept talking about it in her session. And I said, why don't you go to the store and buy the biggest bag of M&Ms and go put it in a big bowl and eat it? And just the only deal that you make is that you stop eating it when it no longer tastes good. And she thought I was crazy. Mm-hmm. And I said, well, oh, go, just go try it. Like, give yourself that permission. This is something you keep saying that you want. It keeps coming up. Go and do that. This is what you really want. And she, she did it. She got the biggest bag she could find, got this big bowl. She ate it. And after a while, she's like, oh, okay, I'm kind of done. That bag of M&M's stood in her house for like the next two or three weeks. Yeah. You know, she just, and she, and now she's a person, you know, many years later who just doesn't like there's chocolate in her house and she's not a prisoner to it. She listens to her body because she's built this relationship of trust and she eats what she really wants and not often anymore is it chocolate and she can be surrounded by it.
0: That's a beautiful story of, of di- building a relationship with desire and food is so difficult and fraught. For mm-hmm. so many women, like okay, I'll build a relationship with the exercise I want to do. I'll build an extra. I'll build a relationship with um, maybe how I want to use my free time or how I want to express myself creatively. But boy, when it comes to food, that can be a real trigger for some of us. I know it has been for me, um, which get which leads me to tell everybody listening: start where it feels safe to practice and play with desire. Um, start where it doesn't feel daunting or restrictive or not start in a great place with the whole bowl of M and M's, but you re- it really will unfurl and show you. And, and the, the, the key is to drop the shoulds while you're doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, she, she didn't tell herself I'll only, there was no restrictions. No
1: restrictions.
0: Right. And, and also full attention. I'm not going to watch TV while I'm eating the M and M's. I'm actually going to be like eating the M and M's. Oh, huh. <laughs> Oh, you know, because if I eat M&Ms, mindfully, after about 10, I'm sick as a dog. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> but boy, I used to love them until I noticed that.
1: <laughs> and now it's crazy because I don't know, about a year ago, I was at my neighbor's and he pulled out. He was really stressed. His daughter got hurt. And so I went to go check in on him. And, um, Because she was still at the hospital and he pulled out some chocolate and I had a couple of peanut M&Ms and I had one and I was like, ooh, this doesn't even taste very good. Mm -mm. And I wound up giving the rest to my husband because I didn't want it. And I was like, oh my gosh, I'm now a person who doesn't like peanut (laughs) M&Ms. I was (laughs) like, how is this possible? But part of it was, what is it that I really, really want? And when you can, you know, whatever the the areas, you know, for a lot of my clients, when they figure it out with food, that's their small way to practice. And then they sure. figure out in other areas, what's yeah. the job I want? What's the relationship I want? Right. And, and you, but again, it's practicing it and those become all transferable skills that you have.
0: Exactly. And this, again, this desire is one of the paths and it's an important vital one into your truer life, but it's not a place that you're going to get to, right? I'm going to, I'm going to get to the place where I'm living all my desires perfectly. And that is so makes me gag. It is always unfolding and changing. And if we're in relationship with desire, then we can be unfolding with it and and have these moments when we go, oh my gosh, wow, I actually don't like my friend that I thought was so fabulous. And I actually realized that I I don't want to be here in this conversation right now, or, oh boy, I'm someone who doesn't like peanut M&Ms. Or, you know, what I've seen happen many times with people I work with is, wow, I thought I needed to get out of X, this marriage, this job. Mm -hmm. And I actually don't. It's all the stories I've been telling myself about it and all the shoulds. And when I've let those go and I start to follow my desires within the job, I'm finding, or the marriage, I'm finding all kinds of ways to take responsibility for asking for what I want and bringing it
1: alive. Mm-hmm. So I have a question for you. You know what? How does change happen? Because I remember, you know, before I ever had this show, um, I used to go and buy these books because I was like, oh, I love these books and I want to read them. But then I would never actually read them; they just sit by my <laughs> nightstand. And um, you know, because then I was off finding the next book to go buy. <clears throat> but I, I remember I think the underlying pretense of every book that I was buying was this book is going to change my life. Yeah. You know, and so I'd like you to share like how does change happen with the people that you work with?
0: It it opens to us and we see it and we see that it's a possibility, and then it closes, and it seems impossible, or we don't even remember what it was that we just saw. It's like the it's like the myth of the Holy Grail, right? The Holy Grail is seen, and then it disappears, and no one's even sure it's real. That very ancient English uh, folktale. And that's what change is like. And then each time that we continue to do our work of awareness and the practices that we find through shows like this and groups like yours, and we apply them with diligence and we, including following our desires and using conditions of enoughness, we see it more and more clearly. And we become the person who, who can take the action to make it the place that we live to make it the place that we that we inhabit daily. And then we rest there for a while and then something else starts to beckon and go, oh, that now, that, oh, but what was that? Oh, no, I, I don't think there's anything I need to change about that. Oh, what was I thinking, <laughs> right? And that's it. It's, it comes in and out of focus, in and out of clarity. and And then sometimes we take the steps to do something about it and then they don't work. And the change doesn't happen and it wasn't strong enough or other people don't support us. Um, So it is a tremendous, um, tremendously ebb and flow Mm -hmm. and very humbling and so rarely neat or complete.
1: Yeah. I love how you use the word diligence because that's really important, right? To stick with it and... To and to realize that there's this ebb and flow. It's not just this straight linear line. Isn't that right?
0: Yeah. There is a moment with some change where we say, hmm, yes, that's it. I'm done. I'm actually trying to write a book about this. And I've taken the haiku, Barnes burnt down. Now I can see the moon as one of my metaphors. And when are there when is the moment that we burn down the barn and when is the moment that we decide not to, because it's, we're not ready or it's too scary or we're not willing to pay the price. And how do we get ready to build, to burn barns? And and what does it mean to see the moon? And I've been writing right now, just a lot of stories from my own moments of barn burnings or not barn burnings um, and barns I've tried to burn down and not been able to. And barns that, try you know we're very messy to burn down like my first marriage so I'm fascinated by this process of change and I think we all need to be and the linear neat model is a very mass it's a very masculine model right (laughs) Right?
1: well and it's (laughs) it's very rigid Mm -hmm. and um and And comforting
0: and comforting like okay I'll change that's it I'm done
1: (laughs) but I think it's comforting but it's it's a lie it's like comforting when we when we say that oh I'm eating this comfort food yeah. Right, I mean that's a lie because it's the, it. That's the fastest way to self beating and abuse.
0: Oh, you know, actually, sometimes I can comfort myself with food very mindfully and deliciously. Mm-hmm. You know, really, when you sit, you like, I chose this. I really mm-hmm. want this. Like if she did with the M and M's, right? Mm-hmm. And then it was like, okay, no, I'm actually done. I'm not comforted anymore. But yes, the 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 stories about change are are often. N- what I call shadow comforts, right? They don't actually nurture us. they just dumb us, numb us
1: out, well, and I think that's what I was referring to when when like yeah. because, yes, I think eating delicious food is a fabulous thing, right? But there's a difference when you're yes. really eating it versus when my clients go to, oh, well, I ate it because it comforted me but they don't even recall eating it and then yes. they felt bad <laughs> afterwards and then they beat themselves up and then now they have evidence that see nothing as possible for change.
0: Exactly. Yes, 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 Yeah. Exactly what I say. And I'm thinking about the bread that I ate last night at dinner when I went out with my girlfriends and how yeah, I really chose it and I really enjoyed it and it still wasn't exactly the right thing. So all the gray areas we have when it comes to this work and how much this inner work and how much mercy and, and kindness we have to have. I also want to say something else about change though, which is it's very difficult to do by yourself. Because we're pretty we're pretty this the sleep that we fall into, we see the grail, we see what we want to have different in our marriage or our work or our, our more trueness and aliveness. And then it goes it goes dim. And it's so, so beneficial in my life to have had a variety of um, communities that can say to me, "Oh no, I remember what you what your grail is. I remember what you want mm-hmm. and I know you can have more of it and you're in fact, wait, oh you're having more of it right now, but you're not noticing that you are <laughs> <laughs> right Because that's the other thing about change. We mm-hmm. think it's going to arrive one day but you know we experience it in tastes and drips and um, cool breezes every time we take action on it.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things I remember is when I kind of hit these major life goals that, you know, were 20 years in the making. And I remember a few years ago, I hit one and I sat here and all of a sudden, because I was feeling some anxiety and I wasn't happy. And I was like, what's happening? I, I just hit this major life goal. And there was a part of me that went, this voice went, where's the frickin' party? Where are the balloons? Uh-huh. You know, where, where, it where is that? atmosphere and it wasn't this wasn't something I was willing to share publicly anyway so there was going to be no party but there was kind of that you know that television excitement and here I was just sitting in my office going oh I achieved this wow Mm -hmm. right
0: yeah I know it's such it to me one of the things that makes me so sad I mean I'm about the times that we live in is this this celebrity, um, reality TV Mm -hmm. competition. Um, or let's take the internet culture. Look, I made a million dollars. Um, it's always, it's the same brittle, thin, unsatisfying story that it's about the end and the party and the balloons and nobody, nobody, I, I believe experiences that. I think those of us who are really living our truer life are, are experiencing it, in this chop would carry water, oh my God, look i I actually wrote my seven hundred fifty words every day this week way versus when the book let's say someday is finished and people read it and love it right mm-hmm. and waiting for that and focusing on that um, is probably the the single biggest thing that makes us unhappy
1: Oh focusing on that outcome goal
0: yeah, and attaching to it and and living for it and fantasizing about it. I remember when I would have an idea for something, let's say a project or a book. I can remember this so clearly. I was living in California. Lily was little. I was having a lot of success. I had an idea for a book. And by the time I was done with the shower, I was in the shower. By the time I was done, I had written the book, been on Oprah, (laughs) you know, picked out my outfit that I would wear. I mean, the whole nine yards, the whole fantasy. And then I got out of the shower and I'm like, Oh my God, look what you just did instead of, Oh, look, there's an idea. Let's, let's, let's breathe on it. Let's polish it. Let's, let's tenderize it. Let's spend a little time with it. See if it wants to be alive and see if we want to bring it to life. Um, let's be in relationship with it. I was, you know, I spent so many years doing that, running away from myself into fantasy to the end result.
1: That's, I had this saying, um, I was in Vegas a few years ago with one of my coaches and he was being really nice. He was walking around in the city and I, I had only been there for some weeks, so I've never done the Vegas adult thing. But And I would get so excited because the outside was so pretty and I'd want to go inside and see what was like inside the casinos, you know, each of the buildings and stuff. And I go inside, I was like, oh, I just smoke filled. <laughs>
0: It's desperate pale people. Yeah. And
1: so then we go the next one, and I get really excited, and I walk in again. I was like, oh. So then all, all of a sudden I said to him, I go, you know, the idea of Vegas, like for movies and stuff, is really fun. But the reality and just the stuff that happens on the street corners and and the expense of it all is like, the reality is, is that it's not all that great. It, for me, I know there's people that love it, but for me. And then as we walk some more, I said to him, I go, you know what? The idea of being a swimmer kind of sucks, right? You have early morning practices. You're swimming when it's cold and rainy. You you go to swim meets when it's cold and rainy. You're training really hard. You're pushing your body outside of its comfort zone. The idea of it sucks. The reality is that it's pretty freaking amazing, Mm. right? And, and that's what, when you said that, that's what I was thinking of is that sometimes we have these ideas and then, but do those realities really match up? And right. this,
0: this is exactly where my work is right now. How do we develop the awareness and the practices for ourselves so we're constantly sniffing into the real lived experience of what is juicy and true and challenging for us in a way that grows us, that helps us serve, that helps us bring our gifts alive versus living in any projections, stories um ex- interior exterior mm-hmm. dualities that's our work as humans and it's hard but it is our work
1: and so what's the answer how do we do it
0: yeah, well <laughs> we we first of all we decide to take the challenge on mm-hmm. many of us never do that we we say oh that sounds good but then we go looking for the T capital T capital H capital E answer like you Mm -hmm. buying those books and not reading them or you know people I had someone at my retreat this summer and she had signed up for a super expensive coaching course with some big name and by the end of the week she's like wow I realized listening to what do I want it's a question I have people ask in all my retreats and courses I don't want to do that Right? So it's that work. And the first thing we have to do, though, is go, do I really want the work of my life? Because it's not going to look the way I think or want. Mm. That surface story is not it. And it's very humbling and sometimes terrifying to let go of that story. Because the story is not Either it, again, it's passed away. It was the story of the younger us, or it's the story of our parents, or it's the story of been there, done that, or it's the story of what we thought we should want. Wow. So it's it takes a tremendous amount of commitment and courage. And then I think it's really, really about that relationship with our desires and the feedback of what's coming in of our daily life.
1: Wow. I really like that. So as we wrap up here, I have a couple of questions that I want to ask you. I mean, I've been asking you questions. <laughs> More? No, yes. I love. It. <laughs> but these are these are a bit deeper. So what is the biggest misconception about you?
0: My mother-in-law, who I love, um, said to me a couple weekends ago when we were all hanging out, you know, you seem like you're never sad. You seem like you're never, you're nothing ever bothers you. And I think sometimes people maybe on the, you know, sort of outside of my life, think that, um, because I am very grateful and happy when I'm with people and see people. And I really believe one of the gifts that I have in life is to sort of beam and embody aliveness. I don't have to struggle to do it even when I'm depressed. And so what I mean by that is on the street corner in the grocery store with my family, and so I think sometimes that becomes a misconception that I'm always happy. I know even my daughter said this to me once in high school when she was really struggling. And that's, you know, not true. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't sometimes I don't even know what if I know what happiness necessarily is. Um, so that, I think that's a big, not a big misconception, but sometimes I'm surprised by it when I hear it from people.
1: And what, do you, what took you the longest to learn?
0: To let go of outcome and fantasy.
1: And how did you, that's going to have to be another interview.
0: (laughs) I'm still learning that one, but I've learned it. I I get it a lot faster these days.
1: (laughs) And do you have values you align in your life?
0: Absolutely. Um, Inclusion, kindness, and creativity are, I think I live those um, very vibrantly. Uh, and inclusion, you know, it just means standing. Maybe I'm standing with a group of people somewhere, and someone comes, maybe you're at a party, and it's like make, making sure I back the circle up and welcome them in and introduce them. Um, kindness is one of my top, you know, it's being kind again to, you know, the tourists who are getting off the ferry in the summertime here. and And creativity is, you know, maybe more personal, but it, it means that I have an art table right next to me and I'm always making a mess over there and playing with words and arranging flowers and not doing anything creative with food, food and cooking. And I still don't really know each other. very well. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Yeah. Those, those are my top values.
1: And but as, as we wrap up a couple of takeaways for the listeners today,
0: what do you really want to do next. As you end listening to this, hit pause, hit stop, and just sit and give yourself a couple of breaths. I don't care what occurs to you, whether it's nothing, whether it's 7,000 things, But please don't believe the story that it's not okay to ask, that it's not safe to ask, or that just because you know you have to go pick up the kids from school or go to the gym or finish the report, that you don't get to know what the real desire is. When we are in relationship with our desires, things change and we move towards our truer life, sometimes in magical ways, without effort. Sometimes not. Sometimes it takes a lot of effort and courage. And then the other takeaway is how is your not enoughness in the form of projects and lists that have no there there, no way to reach, no way to know that you have finished, no stepping stones, um, undermining, undermining, undermining what you what you want more
1: of. Ooh, those are good questions. <laughs> Well, Jen, thank you so much. I'm going to have links to your website and your upcoming course, the Life Navigation course on this, the interview page. So for the listeners, you can go there to find out more information or to connect with Jen. Jen, thank you for being a guest again on my show.
0: Oh, it's delightful. I love talking to you. You're absolutely brilliant. Thank you so much.
1: Wow. Thank you very much. So there you have it with Jen Loudon, right? Here's a woman who so many people have aspired to as somebody being greatly successful She, like in the previous interview I did many years ago with Jen, she was somebody who won the Oprah lottery. She was on Oprah's couch, became very famous that way. And then how does she go about doing her work? And so often we have this illusion that, oh, once you achieve this, then everything will be happy and hunky-dory. And as you've heard from Jen's story, it hasn't been hunky-dory. There have been great moments and there have been difficult times, and it's about how do you get through them. And and I'm so glad and thankful that she was willing to put herself out there and share that she suffers with depression because how many of you have suffered with it and how many of you had a lot of shame because you suffered from depression, right? It's not something that we're really proud of and society puts a stigma on that. So the fact that Jen can come here and say, look, I've been really struggling and here's why and here's the message that I learned from that. I, I, I'm i not broken. I don't need to fix it. It's about me going, what do I need? Right. And she needed space. She needed to create awareness for what was going on and realizing that, that she's vulnerable and needing to fill herself up and filling herself up for her comes in the form of writing and creativity and the arts and time alone. Right. And so, again, it's not that there's a blueprint. There's no blueprint. There's no one recipe. And as I'm learning how to cook, I'm starting. To, I always have to remind myself, Corinne, it doesn't have to be perfect. You can experiment. You can test this out, right? Because I get so freaked out about, you know, what's the outcome that I, I tend to freeze in cooking because I haven't had a lot of practice. So I just talk myself down off the ledge. And for you, you know, again, letting, giving yourself that space to talk yourself off the ledge so that you can go about and practice and learn from it, right? And tweak and what, what can, what can help bring you closer to the life that you want to build for yourself? There's not a perfect solution. There's no blueprint. It's a recipe. And just like one of my favorite things I like to say is for a while there, I was making chicken pesto in the oven and There's, I don't know, if you Google chicken pesto recipes, there's more than a page worth. And it's about finding the right way that you want to make it. And what I mean by the right way is I have a little rule. It has to be the simplest possible ingredients. Like I try to keep it to five ingredients or less just because of my knowledge base and my skill set, right? And then I'd also like it to be ingredients that I know what it is. So for those of you that are laughing at me, that's okay. Um, You know, this is is an area that I don't have a lot of practice or skill sets to. Right. So aligning things with your values, just like Jen aligns, you know, her life with your values, knowing what they are, you know, for her, it was inclusion and kindness and creativity. What are your values? And I say this, and I've probably said this a bunch of times on the show. I know I say this to my clients all the time. When you know what your values are, that's like knowing what brand or what products you buy when you go to the grocery store. It would be an overwhelming experience to walk into the grocery store and see the 80,000 or so items in there. You could spend literally all day in there trying to figure out what to buy. But what we do over time is we simplify. Maybe you know the milk that you buy or the brand of bread or the type of meat or the type of cheese or the kind of ice cream, whatever it may be, the type of vegetables. Do you do organic, not organic? Do you do a blend? right? What are the vegetables that your family likes? What are the ones that they don't like? And you have this kind of list and that's what allows you, you know, it allows me to get in out of the grocery store sometimes in less than 20 minutes because I've simplified it. I only see the brand of milk that we decided to buy many, many years ago. In fact, it was probably 12 years ago that we decided to start buying this milk. So I don't even look at all the other stuff and I don't get overwhelmed. Sometimes I can get overwhelmed with other products. That I have, But that's the thing about when you know your values, it helps you decipher, is this in line with my values, right? Does this line up with who I want to be? And recently I had a situation where I had to think about that and um, for you guys, and and I really thought about it, what's in line with my values? How is it that I want to treat my listeners, right? And so then I conveyed this message to somebody else who was asking me questions and I said, here's the situation. This is how I convey, this is how I conduct my show. Right. And we were able to agree to terms that was still in line with the boundaries and the priorities that I have for you guys because they're aligned with my values. Um so when we are building the life that we want, one other point I want to make is that it doesn't mean that your life to have meaning is that you have to be on Oprah? You know, Oprah's couch is is very limited these days. She doesn't have the 200 shows that she used to put on a year, so the opportunities have become less. But that doesn't mean that's your way of impacting the world, right? You can impact the world in many ways. One of the things that I I've realized is whether I'm impacting the world with my show, or my newsletter, or with the clients that I work with. Or with the monsters that I coach, the monsters is short for aqua monsters, the swim team I coach, is that that's my way of impacting the world. That's why my way of making a change. But it can sometimes also be, and not sometimes, this, how I conduct myself when I go to the grocery store and I'm standing in line and I'm talking with the checkout, the, re, at the registrar, the, the clerks there, right? Because I wanna, I, I believe human connection is really important. And so who is the person that I wanna be? Do I want to be somebody who's on my phone and disregards that person? That's not in line with my values. So you can change the world in so many ways. And I hope that you can take that away from this interview today. It's not about Jen being on Oprah, right? It's about the work that you do. And she engages with women in, in a variety of forms, whether it's her friends that she was out to dinner with last night or the retreats or this course that she has coming out Or the writings of her blog, right? And, or the books that she writes, so many ways. But if that's not your course, that doesn't mean you need to compare and despair. It's about finding the right ingredients for you. And just like going back to my cooking metaphors, because since I've been learning how to cook the past 18 months, I really liken it because I'm in the beginner stage of that, right? And it's like, what are the ingredients? What are the spices in your spice rack? For some people, they really may like uh, basil or, oh gosh, what is that one spice that my husband likes that I don't like? Um, Cilantro. I I don't, I'm not a big fan of cilantro, but I love garlic and onions and, you know, so everybody's going to have different to their liking. Some people really like rosemary. It doesn't mean it's right or wrong, but what is your personal preference? And so when you think about building this life that you want, it's about what is your personal preference. And remember, Jen had said about what is it I like? What is it that I want to do? And I do invite you that when you ask yourself that question, you're going to have this knee jerk reaction of, I don't know. I don't know. And that's just a wall. Like I find that as an armor. And when my clients say that to me, I say, hey, well, let's brainstorm on some stuff. And at first it's kind of slow going, but then it becomes this avalanche of ideas right? So you just keep asking yourself and you can practice in different areas. What do I want to have for dinner? Where do Where do I want to watch on TV? Or what do I want to watch in the movies? Or what do I want to do this weekend? Right? And how does that line up with what I'm supposed to do? So there's a lot of stuff to think about here. And I love how the last question that Jen asked you is, what do you really want to do next? What do you really want to do next? As you lead this show today, I invite you to consider that question. Thank you. Thanks for listening to How She Really Does It. I invite you to subscribe to my weekly newsletter at howshereallydoesit.com. I do this show each week for you so you can now see the windows of possibilities in your own life. I believe there are many journeys for us to take. We can learn from others to see what is possible for ourselves. I believe there are possibilities for all of us, not just the ones who've acquired great success, but including those of us who have stumbled, lost our way, or only saw closed doors. With this show, maybe you can now see a glimmer coming through the windows. I call that the windows of possibility. Each week, I bring a guest who represents those possibilities. They too have had their own struggles and uncertainty, yet somehow they have found their way. My guests are an example of what is possible when you continue, when you learn, leap, fall down, and get back up. I invite you into this space so you can ask yourself, if that is possible for them, what is possible for me? Really ask yourself that. I would love to connect with you. Please join me at www.howshereallydoesit.com. And thanks for listening today. On a lake, she is dreaming. She is drifting, never been so wild.